Hello, and welcome to the alternate timeline. Today, we are talking about the episode about going down. So what if we all had to live underground? How could we live underground? How would that even work? Um, as you heard uh, reporting this episode, I learned what nuclear winter actually was, uh, which was sort of embarrassing to admit to the whole world that I did not really know. But, um, you know, not everyone knows everything. There's always more to learn. Um, I also learned a ton of other stuff that did not make the cut. Uh, for this episode. So um, buckle up because I'm about to just like read a whole bunch of really interesting facts to you, basically. Um, Not a lot of like tape got cut for this one, but a lot of just like cool stuff that Julia and I uncovered um, about living underground. So let's get started. So let's start with a quote from Leonardo da Vinci. That seems like a good place to start about exploring some caves. He wrote, quote, Having wandered some distance among gloomy rocks, I came to the mouth of a great cavern, in front of which I stood some time, astonished. Bending back and forth, I tried to see whether I could discover anything inside, but the darkness within prevented that. Suddenly, there arose in me two contrary emotions, fear and desire. Fear of the threatening dark cave. Desire to see whether there were any marvelous things within. This is kind of like a good quote to summarize, I think, how a lot of people feel about caves and dark spaces like that, where it's like, ooh, what's in there? But also, like, I don't want to go in there. Um, One of the earliest people to explore a cave for research purposes was a guy named Joseph Anton Nagel. He published a report of his findings in 1748. um, And in that report, there are a couple of pictures, not photographs, obviously, like sketches, drawings of these guys holding big torches, since that's obviously how they could light the way, which actually got me thinking a little bit about how for a long time, if you wanted to explore a cave, you had to bring with you this big smoky fire. And that probably made it harder to see and definitely harder to breathe and just like kind of terrible. So probably made it harder to explore. Not exactly ideal conditions. Um, Humans have been obsessed with underground spaces pretty much forever. We know that from archaeology, communities have buried their dead since at least 100,000 years ago. Um, Earlier this year, actually, archaeologists announced that they had discovered what may be the earliest example of human artwork, over 45,000 years old, in a cave in Sulawesi in Indonesia. Um, It is a picture of a wild pig. It is very adorable. Historians don't actually know exactly why ancient humans chose to make art underground and in these caves, but it is lucky for us that they did because cave paintings have remained so well preserved for research because they are in these deep, difficult-to-access locations. Another amazing fact, some scientists now believe that life on Earth might have started underground. Microbiologists have discovered life as deep as three miles below the surface of the Earth, and these microbes are located in all different parts of the world, but they are genetically similar, which suggests that they evolved from a common ancestor that lived around the time life started on Earth. So it is possible that we, as humans, evolved from these early life forms deep in the ground. And I don't know, like maybe that's why uh, some of us feel drawn to the underground, just like a theory uh, there. There are also a bunch of folks who have mythology that involves humans emerging from the earth. Um, The one that we looked into for the episode but didn't wind up talking about is the Lakota emergence story about the underground origins of humans. Um, And here is a telling of that story by Sina Bear Eagle. My name is Sheena Berigal, and I'm a member of the Oglala Lakota tribe. 
Wind Cave is very special to us. In our language, we call it Onia Oshoka, or Maka Okloke, which means the earth is breathing. And the reason this cave is so special to us is that this is the site of our emergent story, which is part of our larger creation story. Now, in Lakota culture, culture and history are passed on through an oral tradition that is stories going from generation to generation. And for that reason, there can be a lot of variations of the same story. But in our culture, what's important to us is not you know, the smaller details, but the larger idea. And the larger idea in any story you hear about Wind Cave is that Lakota people emerged out of Wind Cave. So this story was passed on to me by Wilmer Mesteth, who was our tribal historian and an elder in our tribe. Uh, Wilmer unfortunately passed away towards the beginning of 2015, but in our culture, when our elders pass away like this, the way that we honor them and keep their memory alive is to keep telling the stories they told us and to keep teaching the things that they taught us. What emergence means in an anthropological sense is that a people believe that they lived underground and they emerged onto the surface of the earth. The story I tell is a little different because in this story, Wind Cave is a passageway. And somewhere hidden deep inside this passageway is a portal to the spirit world. And that's where the people were living. They were waiting until the earth was ready for them. So the story begins at a time when the earth was here and all the plants and animals, but there were no people yet, and there were no bison either. There were two spirits who had been banished to the surface of the earth. Their names were Ikdomi, the trickster spirit, and Anagite, the double-faced woman. This was a woman who had two faces on her head. On one side, she had a really beautiful face, and on the other, she had a really horrible face. It was twisted and gnarled. Now, these two spirits only had each other for company, so Ikdomi was always playing tricks on Anagite, just bothering her and torturing her. And she really hated him. Until he started to get bored, and he decided he was going to play a trick on the human beings. So he asked for Anagite's help, and he told her that if she helped him, then he would never bother her again. And so she agreed. So to begin the trick, Anagite took a pack. She loaded this pack with buckskin clothing that was beautifully decorated with porcupine quill work, with all kinds of berries and dried meats, and she put it onto the back of her wolf companion. Ikdomi the trickster opened a hole in the ground and sent the wolf down inside through the cave's passageways until it found the portal and went through to meet the humans. You know, once there, it showed them everything that was on its back, and they took out the clothes, and they passed them around and tried them on and tasted the berries but it was the meat that they really liked because there's nothing like that in the spirit world. They wanted more. So the wolf told them, if you come with me to this place called the earth, you can have all these things and more. Well, the leader of the people was a man named Tokahe, and he didn't want to go. He said the creator told us to wait here till the earth was ready, and that's what I'm going to do. Most of the people decided to wait with Tokahe, but the ones who had tasted the meat went with the wolf. So the wolf led them through the dark passages of the cave. And when they came up to the surface, the very first thing they saw was a giant blue sky above them. And it was summertime, so all the hills around there were covered in green and yellow grasses. And these people thought this was the most beautiful place they'd ever seen. And the wolf led them to the lodge of Anagite, and she was in disguise. 
She had a shawl over her head, hiding her horrible face and showing only her beautiful face. So she invited them inside, she fed them, and she told them that she would teach them how to get everything the wolf brought. And she was true to her word. She taught them how to hunt and to gather berries, dry meat, quill clothing. But this work was very difficult. And these people actually had an easy life in the spirit world. So they worked slowly and they got tired easily. And you have to remember, they knew nothing about the seasons on the earth. So when winter came, they weren't ready for it. They didn't have enough clothes for everyone or enough food, so they started to freeze and starve. And they were desperate for help, so they went back to Anagite. But it was at that time that she revealed her true intentions. She pulled the shawl from her head, revealing her horrible face. And with both her faces, beautiful and horrible, she started to laugh at the people. And the people were all terrified of her, so they ran away, back to the hole they'd come from, only to find that Ikdomi had closed it up again leaving them trapped on the surface. So these people didn't know what to do or where to go. They were cold and they were hungry. So they just sat down on the ground and they started to cry. It was at that time that the creator heard them and asked why they were there. They told the story of the wolf and Anagite, but the creator was upset. The creator said, you should not have disobeyed me because now I have to punish you. And the way the creator did that was by transforming them turning them from people to these great wild beasts. And this was the first bison herd. So some time passed and finally the earth was ready. Tokahe led the people out of the cave and along the way they stopped four times to rest and to pray. And for that reason, four is a sacred number in Lakota culture. And when they emerged from the cave, they saw everything the people before them did. But there was also a bison hoof print on the ground. So the creator told them to follow that bison, because if you follow the bison, you'll have everything you need to live on this earth. From it, you can get food, clothing, shelter. It leads you to water. And as the people were leaving to follow the bison, the creator did one more thing, and that was to shrink down the hole from the size of a person down to the size it is today, so that the people would always have it and they'd never forget where they came from, but also so that they'd know not to try to go back to the spirit world because their lives were on the earth now. Many of the first people to spend a lot of time underground were workers of some kind or another, right? Miners, grave diggers, mushroom farmers, something like that. Um, someone had to do all of the work that needed to be done down there, and not everybody wanted to go down there. Um, and in many cases, actually, it was the work itself that created these underground spaces. So in Paris, for example, many buildings were made out of limestone, which had to be mined. And so giant underground quarries grew as the city itself did, sort of built from stone, taken from under underneath the residents' feet. As city technology improved, new types of underground jobs were invented, like sanitation workers who are maintaining sewers, transportation employees who are digging subway tunnels, electricians who are installing power lines. Um, I mentioned Seattle a little bit on the episode, but in Seattle, a huge fire destroyed parts of the city in 1889, and the city was rebuilt at this like higher level on top of everything else. And parts of the original city actually do remain accessible underneath the modern version. And I am told that the tour of that underground stuff is very cool. So if you are ever in Seattle and you go on that tour, let me know. I've, I've just been told that it's cool. 
In contrast to what they did in Seattle, when a fire destroyed most of Havre, Haver, Montana, I actually don't know how you say it, it's H-A-V-R-E, um, in 1904, is when the fire was, instead of waiting to rebuild above ground, the businesses were actually reconstructed underground so that they could stay open while the stuff above was being rebuilt and fixed. And today you can tour that sort of temporary below ground city. There was also some stuff that we cut about like time perception and what it's like to live underground. So in 1962, a French geologist named Michel Siffray spent two months living underground by himself to research sort of human perception of time. Um, when his team notified him that the experiment was over on September 14th, he thought that it was August 20th. He had lost almost a whole month of time. In 1988, a cave explorer named Veronique Le Guen spent more than three months alone underground. Uh, she wrote a book about the experience and she described feeling stress and fear Um Obviously, not all of that was due to the cave, but just, like, the isolation and the depth that she was living at. I mean, like, it just seems kind of scary to be alone in a cave for three months. Um, today, there are a ton of businesses that work underground, operate underground, obviously. But the most fascinating example that we couldn't find time to talk about on the episode is called Subtropolis, which was created through the mining of a 270-million-year-old limestone deposit in Kansas City. So some sources describe Subtropolis as the world's largest underground storage facility or the world's largest underground business complex. Um... Subtropolis is also the largest foreign trade zone under one roof in the United States. Now, that is not because it is underground, but uh, it's for other reasons. But it is interesting that like kind of underground can sometimes be considered no man's land, right? Um, and that actually brings us to the thing that I mentioned on the episode about mineral rights. The question of who actually owns the ground beneath your house or a city is actually sort of tricky. Uh, generally, in most places, the city or government can, for example, you know, dig a tunnel under your building to build a subway, right? You can't stop them from doing that, just like you can't stop airplanes from flying 30,000 feet over your head. Um, but it's not quite as uh, simple as airplanes, because there's a lot more stuff in the ground, right? There are water tables, there are potentially valuable resources, um, minerals, mining stuff. There's stuff down there, right? As opposed to kind of flying through the air. Um, in the US and the UK, there is a Latin phrase that you read a lot if you start reading up about subterranean land rights. And that Latin phrase goes like this. I'm definitely going to say it wrong. Um, Quius est solum, aeus est usque ad colium et ad infer. Pharos. Definitely pronounced that incorrectly. I hope that my high school Latin teacher is not listening to this. Um, but that basically translates as whoever owns the soil holds title up to the heavens and down to the depths of hell. So sort of like how we mentioned in Japan, you own to the center of the earth. Um, this is not true everywhere, right? So in Mexico, for example, property rights do not necessarily extend volumetrically down into the earth. In Australia, land titles that were issued before 1891 went to the center of the earth, and those issued after 1891 extend down just 15 meters, which is 49 feet. Side note, I was reading a Guardian article about this stuff, and there was a reference to someone named William Little, who they called the Mole Man of Hackney. And so I was like... Yes, I will look that up. I will look up who the mole man of Hackney is. So it turns out in 19... So it turns out in the 1960s, this guy named William Little um, inherited a house in Hackney in East London. And after he moved in, he decided to dig himself a wine cellar. 
so far, totally normal. But after he dug the wine cellar, he apparently was like, man, this is extremely fun, uh, this digging thing. And so he just kept digging for 40 years. In 2006, he was finally ordered to stop and evicted. Uh, at the time, in 2006, the city had no idea how extensive his tunnels were, but they used ultrasound scanners to estimate that Little had created tunnels spreading up to 65 feet in every direction from his house, using just a shovel and a handmade pulley system. Little would dump the dirt that he excavated into his garden and then eventually sometimes into empty rooms in his house. There was just dirt everywhere. Um... His neighbors complained about this for years, uh, and more than once, uh, Little's Digging did things like take the power out on the street and cause all kinds of other problems. In 2001, the pavement in front of the house collapsed and created this big gap in the road, and one neighbor said at the time that you could see all of these tunnels sort of sprawling out all over the place inside, and it freaked people out, probably for good reason. Um, Little died in 2010, and after the city got through examining and cleaning the property, they hauled out about 33 tons of soil and debris and uh, three wrecked cars and a boat. At the bottom of the Wikipedia page for William Little, there is a see also link for hobby tunneling, and I will link to that in the show notes for this bonus podcast in case you want to bore your way into that rabbit hole. Um, anyway, we were actually talking about land rights, and this is actually something that comes up when you start talking about a certain project by a certain Elon Musk. That is what happens in my brain anytime anybody says Elon Musk. Anyway, what I am talking about here is the Hyperloop tunnels that he is proposing. So there are many technical challenges at play here, and I'm not going to get into why this idea is not a very good one. But one of the biggest challenges that he's going to face is actually the tunneling itself, not the high-speed stuff that's supposed to go inside the tunnels. And to dig these tunnels, they do have to get permission from every city and region that they need to bore through, and a lot of people wonder if that's actually going to happen. Only time will tell, obviously. Um, we will see. But they've already had to pare back some of their plans based on some of the permitting problems. That is everything that I cut from this episode. Lots of just like facts and fun, odd stuff. Um, so I mentioned this on the Patreon page and the newsletter and on social media. But the next episode of Flash Forward is going to be not quite like a rerun, but a re-up of an older episode. Um, I am really, really behind on the show right now uh, for a variety of reasons. And I just need to give myself and Julia a little bit more time to get back on schedule. So I'm going to do a big AMA episode, Ask Me Anything. And you can put your questions either on Facebook or in the Patreon page or in the Slack, kind of anywhere. I'm gathering them all up and I will answer as many of them as I can get to. Um, I am also behind on basically everything for Flash Forward right now, including like the book club, sending out Patreon goodie bags, book plates, and all that stuff. So if you think you're waiting on something from me, um, whether that's like a sticker or a goodie bag or like whatever it is, uh, it's not you, it's me. I am going to try and get back on top of it and get everything out as soon as I can. I've just sort of like lost track of all of this stuff because of a bunch of other projects that are kind of ballooned out into more than I thought they were going to be. Um, so I just have a lot going on and I have fallen behind on that and uh, I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get back into it. Um, that is the main behind the scenes thing really, which is that I am behind on all of the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> um, 
Okay, and then last thing, as always, a little secret. And I think that my secret this week is going to be that I think I'm going to shave my head. Why not? Seems like a thing to do. Seems like it'd be kind of fun. Uh, my hair is very challenging to take care of because it's like has a mind of its own. And so maybe I'll just uh, cut it all off. Seems like a fun thing to try. And if it doesn't it look good, I'll it grows back. So like, ah, who cares? Okay, that's all for this bonus podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I will be back in your ears next uh, next week, or I guess the week after, technically, depending on when you're listening to this. And you will hear another episode of Flash Forward and then a bonus podcast. And then we will repeat again and again till the end of the year. Um, thanks again for listening and for being here and for being a patron and for being patient with me as I am behind on everything. Okay, that's all. Bye.